mean, it's really hard to influence people that you don't understand where they come from and what they have. So one of the other things that I believe is plurality of thought is important. So plurality and having multiple thoughts at the table is important, but then learning how to get the most out of those thoughts. Welcome to another episode of Reaching Your Goals. Reaching Your Goals is a career-focused podcast where I sit down with truly inspiring individuals and we dig deep on leadership and career-related topics to provide you with the insights you need to get one step closer to living a fulfilled professional life. We all have goals we want to reach, but sometimes we just need those nuggets, those insights that help us moving from motion into action and that's why we are here. In case you wonder, depending on the day, I either work as a certified executive and career coach or a management consultant and I have an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. My mission is to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness and have some fun along the way. This week, we have an exciting topic coming our way. It's all about having impact and influencing others to, you know, essentially be more successful in whatever we want to do. My guest for this exciting topic is Bill Clem. Bill is the chairman and CEO of eBliss. He is an e-mobility, transportation and business expert, as well as a futurist and technology development leader with a focus on sustainably evolving industries through innovation. With over two decades of business leadership experience, Bill has helped launch, grow and successfully scale a host of companies across the transportation and technology industries for companies including Carfax, Fallbrook Technologies or Ford Motor Company. He's regarded as an innovative thought leader, business expert and billion dollar growth strategist. His expertise has been featured in Hardball, Are You Playing to Play or Playing to Win, Wired, The Washington Post and The Wall Street Journal among others. Bill is based in Austin, Texas in the US. Before we jump in, let me quickly also check in with you. Have you already rated and reviewed the show? You can rate it in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. In Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. I love reading those. And if you could also tell a friend about the show, that would be fantastic. Thank you. And now let's jump in and increase our impact and our influence. Bill, it's fantastic to see you again. How are you doing today? Anna, I am doing fantastic. Thank you very much. I had an amazing Father's Day weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all good. Monday, Monday has started, so we're here. I'm very excited to be here. It's true. It's Monday morning for you and it's already my afternoon. <laughs> I know. The world turns quickly. And I like to start my interviews with rapid fire questions. Short questions, short answers. Are you ready? Born ready. I like it. Your company is called eBliss. I know the term right. bliss from yoga, where it describes the highest state of consciousness one can achieve through meditation. What brings you bliss in your life? Uh, the biggest thing that brings me bliss, honestly, is helping people and being able to influence and make impact in various markets. Funny that we talked about this earlier, but, but that's really what brings me joy is being able to make impact. It is amazing watching people get on some of our bikes and the smiles on their face. 
and the and the long term enjoyment that they have. But then it's equally good to also have this with your family and with uh, on the social and the on the soft side of things. But making impact, those are that's that gets me up in the morning. Nice. And I know that you are a car lover. What model do you actually drive, and what does it say about you? <laughs> what do I drive? <laughs> so, so, so I would tell you that I that I just ordered it has not ret it has not come in yet an EF one fifty. So that is that's the vehicle that I'm going to be driving. I have no idea what that means. That that is an electric F one fifty. From Ford Motor Company, so I I purchased a an EF one fifty. That's what I'm going to be driving today. I drive a Mercedes E sixty three AMG S, which is a which is a very big fast sports car. So that's that's what I do drive today. But because of what I am doing and for my life, about eight months ago or nine months ago, I ordered an EF one fifty because I think if I'm going to take a leadership position in electrification of transportation. I need to I need to walk the walk and talk the talk. And that brings us to the ne next one because I know that you have Dutch roots. So going into more the e-mobility and focusing initially on e-bikes seems to be like a natural next step since you have Dutch roots. What else is still Dutch about you? Oh gosh, so <laughs> I tomato soups. So I love Dutch tomato soup. What else is Dutch about me? I am very direct, so I think Dutch. The Dutch culture is very direct. They are the most direct ever. And so, and I have a saying that says, "If it ain't Dutch, it ain't much." So, I so I have that saying. I think the other thing about Dutch is is a hardworking set of roots. Also, Dutch Dutch have been traders and have been making impact to economies far larger than theirs for centuries. And I think that's part of what I part of what gets me going as well is being able to make impact. If you look around the world on the Dutch's ability to to make trade, the Spice yes. Island, all the things that the Dutch were responsible for, there's a lot of there there's a lot of the worldwide economy and the worldwide culture that has been influenced by the Dutch. So I think those are things that I I carry forward. Nice. I guess e-bikes will come up. What's your view on wearing a helmet? I think it's important. I I would tell you that that is something that I have not done in the past, but I am doing it now. I think it's I think it is important. I think it's probably more important in the United States than it is in Holland or in Europe, just because of the general skills and capabilities and experience of the riders. Because it isn't just the riders on the bikes; it's everybody around the bikes, right? Yes. In Europe, in in, in Holland, the bicycle transportation is the highest form of transportation, not walking, not people, people riding bikes. So they have prioritized that. And so the skill of everybody in that system is much higher. So in Holland, they're not wearing, they're not wearing helmets unless they're mountain biking, they're wearing helmets, but, and then you're wearing elbow pads and knee pads and everything else. But so I do think in the United States, I do think it's a good idea to wear a helmet. Yes. And even here, like here in Zurich, I mean, you've been here, it's like so oh, steep. And sometimes the bike lanes, they just stop. And then you're still riding and kind of like, okay, continue on the street. 
You know what? I, I would actually say that that's another interesting point because if you look at the people in Benelux, right? Belgium, Luxembourg, you know, Netherlands, if you look at that, it's all flat, right? Yes. Whereas if, if you look at areas in southern Germany and you look at areas in, in Austria and in Switzerland and in France, yes, on the mountains, absolutely, you should wear a helmet. I think it's a very important message wear your helmet. I agree. Say, how would your friends and family describe you in one word? Passionate. And do you still remember what you wanted to become when you were a little kid? Yes. What was it? When I was five years old, I wanted to work for Ford Motor Company and build cars and trucks. 22, I got that chance. So, so, and I got to do that for 16 years. And I hear the passion coming through right there. Say, what is the most important quality in a leader? What is the most, most important quality in a leader? There's three qualities I think about with leadership. Quality number one is not necessarily in this order, is empathy, transparency, uh, and passion. Those are, those are my big three. Nice. And maybe one last question. What is the best advice you've been offered in your personal or professional life? The best advice... I'm gonna, I'll do professional. So one, the first job I had at Ford, I had a boss who sat me down and said, if you do one career that you will be successful. I said, okay, what's that? He said, always look to make a sustaining impact on whatever you're doing. And that sustaining impact should survive you being in that job. So if you make a lasting impact to your position, the things that you're responsible for, if you make a lasting impact, you, you will be successful because that would mean that your legacy will continue beyond you and your impact and influence will, will go off behind you. Um, that's on the professional side. On the personal side, I think my dad always was, you know, doing the right things in your mind is important. And so doing the right things for people, I think, is one of the things I try and do is just be a good, be a good person. So that's, I think, on the personal side. And that, that really came from my father. You, you, I think my father says you only lose respect once. So don't lose respect. Thank you so much. With that, I would love to learn more about you. I mean, we already heard bits and pieces. But would you mind sharing the key milestones that led you to where you are today? Sure. When I was a young, a young person, I started working. So I probably started working when I was 13 years old and doing something. And I have worked constantly even through today. So I'm working today, obviously. I think the work ethic as a, as a kid, I built because I've had jobs ever since I was, like I said, 12, 13 years old. I've always had jobs. Always, you know, had to provide my own money. We were upper middle class family, never wanted for money, but I always wanted to work, and that was always important to me and my family. So that's one. Second thing is, I, mean, I worked at a newspaper when I was in college. I did an internship, so I had a job, went to school, and I had an internship. So I had an internship, And I was working at a newspaper and I learned all of these things around advertising and marketing. And so the first thing that I learned was how to market myself. When I was graduating from college, I worked at the newspaper and I wrote myself an advertisement. 
that I sent out with my resume. And I sent out an ad selling me. And every single company I sent that to, I got an interview with. Wow. And that was the objective. The objective was to use that piece of paper and that approach to get an interview. That's the next step, right? So being able to learn how to market yourself, I think is important. So then the second, the second one was I was working for Ford Motor Company and I was selling parts and service. I was doing service and parts in Mobile, Alabama, Florida, Louisiana, that whole Gulf Coast. And I was in last place. I was absolutely in last place against all of my peers. And I was very tired of being in last place. So I looked for an opportunity to upsize my area. And so I found what I call a seam in the market. So I found a gap. And the gap was that there were three part numbers that were sold that basically were a significant portion of the air conditioning sales for aftermarket parts on Ford Motor Company vehicles in that time period. Just three parts. And then in the summertime, those parts would fail a lot. Yes. So they would fail. I convinced my partner, my customer, I convinced them to buy all of the U.S. supply of those three parts. So this was a big bet. They made a bet on my theory. We bought all those parts, and I took that customer from $300,000 a year to $3 million in one year. Wow. So 10x their growth. I, was, I became the number one guy in the territory very quickly. And so what I learned was if, if you find a seam in the marketplace, if you find that seam, you figure out what to do with it and then know the data, bet, and go fast. So being unafraid to go fast is very, very important. So that is, so that is a second thing on my, on my career. Third big career milestone was I, I, instead of a traditional career path in sales and marketing and you kind of work your way up, I left sales and marketing and I did a two and a half year stint as in finance for Ford Motor Company. So I did finance. And so I was a finance person inside of Ford for almost three years. And I learned a bunch about how companies work because understanding in detail the financial impact of how things work and the financial decisions is very important. And not only that, but the relationships that I built because, because I was now trusted by the financial people and the sales and marketing people, I was able to use, use those relationships to further my career. You don't have to take a traditional career path to be successful. That's the second thing I learned. So the first thing I learned was to make a big impact, find a seam and go. Second, second thing I learned was don't take a traditional path. And the third thing is make the most. So when I had all kinds of big jobs and responsibilities, I had, you know, I worked on the parts business inside of Ford. I, but all those things I'm just taught, they all boiled down to kind of those two things, right? That I just learned. Then the, then the other one was a few years later and I decided to leave Ford Motor Company and I went to work for an automotive supplier services in San Diego, California. So I did that, and we were very successful. We grew that business from – we doubled it from 60 to $120 million in revenue in about two years. So very successful at the time. Uh, and then I decided I have done all of these things in my career, so I'm going to quit. So I first I quit Ford Motor Company as an executive, which was hot at the time. 
Secondly, then I quit that job and I did a startup. And I did all the things, everything that I had learned up until that point, I had to put into one package and I had to go sell myself again. And so I had never raised capital before, but I ended up raising $165 million in capital. Uh, we ended up building an intellectual property company. I'd never done intellectual property before. My dad had, but I hadn't. So we, I had 800 patents and the Wall Street Journal ranked my company as one of the most impactful companies in the automotive and transportation industry through its, through our intellectual property. And then I, and then we did licensing and we did, you know, tens of millions, close to a hundred million dollars in licensing. And we built products at the same time. So I learned to be, learned to be fearless when I know that I'm right. And it's just a matter of figuring out the path because as I tell people all the time, there's a million ways to get to 10. There's not one way to get to 10. It isn't one, two, three, four, five, all the way to 10. There's a million different ways to be able to get to 10. So find your way to get to 10. So that's the other one that I've learned. L lastly, we're probably a couple very hard lessons that I learned. One, I, I lost a son six years ago this month. I'm so sorry. And that caused me to rethink again everything in my life and restart a few things, including another company. So the I, I practiced with a few companies outside of automotive and transportation, and then I decided to come back and do eBliss. And so that's 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 how we're here. So again, I'm bringing all of these learnings and all of these meetings and all of, I mean, I have, I have over 3 million miles in the air and on one airline around from traveling around the world. So bringing all of that together into, into what is, what I think is going to be one of my most successful ventures and that's eBliss. Wow. Thank you for sharing. And you said that when you were young, you were writing the ad for yourself. Do you still remember what it said? I still have it, ah. for sure. Does your management team have the right marketing blend? Love it. And it, and it was a picture of me. So the funny, the funny part was I, the editor of the newspaper went to lunch, and I had the camera guy sit up in his office, and I took a picture of myself at his desk. <laughs> And that was the picture. And I did four columns of copy. And it was before, I mean, we hand laid out the copy because it was before electronic tools. <laughs> and so we wrote, wrote the copy and I produced the ad and I sent it out with my resume. That is amazing. You went from the corporate world into the startup world. What is, say, a lesson that you took from the corporate world that is really helpful now being an entrepreneur? I think I'm, always been even in the corporate world I was an entrepreneur so I was always I was always running big projects and I was always doing things within the corporate structure so I learned to leverage the power of the structure because the structure does have power and I learned to then but I learned to apply it in a disciplined way as an entrepreneur so I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned is that people say oh you're a big company guy or you're an entrepreneur that's just I think that's ridiculous And that's too narrowly focusing. I try and tell people that most people look at the world through a microscope and not a telescope. Mm -hmm. So most people, most people take their view and they get really down close onto their things. Whereas the reality of what you should do 
as you should look at the world through a telescope, so you bring all of it in front of you, right? And, and keep it in perspective and then dial into a microscope. So I think that has helped me because I was successful in big companies and small companies. So even in my small companies, we run things very disciplined, right? So very structured, very disciplined, because I do think that that's different while maintaining your entrepreneurial spirit, because with an entrepreneurial venture, right, there, there isn't, there isn't one way to get something done. So you got to find your way, right? Yes. You find your way. But once you find it, then you got to accelerate against it and you have to be fearless to go take it on. And I think that's the, that's, that's the other thing that I've learned in all of these ventures. And I guess it goes back to the work ethic that you learned from your family. And also this telescopic view. I mean, when you were in marketing, advertising, you went into finance, I mean, you really made sure you have the broad knowledge. I think that is so, so interesting that you took that approach to find your 10, so to speak. So as an entrepreneur, you do all of it, yes. right? You have to learn finance, you have to learn sales and marketing, you have to learn customer service. You know, I mean, again, my first job at Ford was to take phone calls from irate customers who are going to yell at you all day long. And so I did that for eight hours a day for eight months. So you do. So I learned conflict resolution. And then my second job is I go met the customers out in the field. So again, you learn conflict resolution and managing for win-wins and how do you talk to people. And I think that's really important because it's not how you talk, but it's also how you listen, right? Actively listening to people, being present with people, Those things tend to deflect conflicts, right? So if people truly feel that level of engagement, then they're not going to yell at you so much. I guess all those learnings were already helpful to become more influential later down the road. All of them, absolutely. Almost every single day I use these tools in some form or fashion. Almost every single day. You were mentioning now listening. Like, What are the tools you use to really influence others? Um, it, it just depends upon what, what is going to move them, trying to identify what are people's hot buttons. I mean, it's really hard to influence people that you don't understand where they come from and what they have. So one of the other things that I believe is plurality of thought is important. So plurality and having multiple thoughts at the table is important. But then learning how to get the most out of those thoughts. It's the same thing about it's the same thing about the business cube, right? It's it's finance, sales, marketing, engineering, all those things. Because I understand where they yes. all come from, because I've worked in there, I can I understand their points of view innately. And so I can bring them together because I can make sure they're getting what they want, right? So one of the things I learned is learning what people's love languages are, like what makes them tick. Yeah. You can't influence people until you understand really what makes them tick, not in a sustaining way. I mean, what I'm hearing is like having also this meta view to really understand and then bringing it together. I guess it's also like a meeting, synthesizing key messages and pushing the direction of where you want to go. I, I can tell you in many meetings, I'm listening to exchanges and I'm realizing that people aren't really talking to each other, right? And so I find myself saying, okay, let's just make sure I understood what both of you are saying and listening and doing, right? So I understand it. So I bring it to myself, even though I did understand it, I don't think they did. So I made it, I make it about me. So 
let me try and understand what you guys are really saying, because a lot of times people are talking past each other. I think what is happening a lot is they not listening because they're thinking about the next thing they want to say. So they're just waiting for a certain word that they feel ready and now I can jump in no matter what you actually said. And, and I would tell you that that is something that I work on every day because I know because my brain goes quick, I will anticipate what the end of the sentence is and I will try and get there. So that is something that I have to be diligent on myself And so leading organizations and leading teams of people to be productive, you've got to be able to actively listen and truly understand what's going on. What is the playing field truly telling you? That that comes back to my thing number one and my first big, you know, my first job at Ford out in the field. And that was doing the parts business and understanding how does this really work, you know? Can I really can I really buy all those parts and put them in warehouses and stuff them everywhere and every U lock it all across Mobile, Alabama? And and can that really happen? And it really did work. And so so again, I I took the whole thing end to end. And so because of that, I think that same conversation when I'm running companies or, you know, even I mean I've had had four calls this four meetings this morning all across the world with people all over the place and and I'm you know and I still find myself that is one of my special powers is being able to bring people together being able to bring them together around a purpose find that seam and then get them through that seam because that's another part of it right getting them there in their mind before they get there painting that picture that they can see that journey Right? That's that's step by step. The Chinese talk ibu ibu ibu, one step, one step, one step. The Chinese talk about that all the time. That is truly works, right? You gotta you gotta take one step before you can take the second step. I hear inspiration, like inspiring people to follow your vision. And mm -hmm. you also mentioned purpose. What is the purpose or what is your professional purpose here? It's back to influence and impact. That's my, you know, it's, it's whatever I decide to do, I want to make an impact on the planet. I believe that those of us who have the capability of changing the planet have the responsibility to do so. Um, and I believe that that is what I am. I'm here to do. In this particular job, the 29 million rides in a car every day in America that happen that are less than one mile. I want to have I want to see how many of those rides we can convert into a different form of transportation that is more ecologically friendly like e-bikes or walking because I know if I can make influence on the one mile I know I get the 10 miles because people start to get comfortable right and they get the five mile the seven mile people you know wherever there's change there's loss in systems right so there's always loss And so you got to make people feel comfortable with that change process. On, on e-bikes, it's funny because Europe, and we talked about this earlier, you know, lots of people have been riding, you know, since they were a child, right? They, were, they grew up on two wheels riding around. In the U.S., you rode when you were a child, but then, eh, 16, you get a car, right? So now, you know, that's all changing. Young, young people, cars, not so much, right? The passion around automobiles is leaving the industry because the passion for the product is leaving. And, you know, today automakers don't make a bunch of money. 
like they used to. Today, dealers don't make a lot of money and consumers are apathetic about cars. That's not a great place to be. No. And you said you need to first find your theme, like where to go. So I guess it's not in cars anymore. Right. Right. So 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 now I know that there's 119 million rides and 29 million rides. I know that that's there. And the other thing I know is is that I've done enough ride and drives with consumers on e-bikes. All I have to do is get them to try it because if they try ours, they'll buy it because it's so easy. But getting that customer to swing their leg over the seat or step through and sit on the seat, that is the change journey, right? We talked about this a minute ago, right? Wherever there's change, there's loss. That is somebody, am I going to fall over? Am I going to embarrass myself? Am I going to hurt myself? Oh my gosh, I'm going to be out on a road. All of those things go through their life or go through their mind. And so when I talk to people about this, what are you going to do with the bike? I'm not really, you know, how close to the grocery store is an easy path. I ride to the grocery store every day on my e-bike, right? I, my cars do remarkably less miles than they used to because I ride my e-bike all, I ride my e-bike to the gym every day. Just all of those things, right? Those are the habits that change you. And so, and then I, I do interviews like this to try and get the word out there to get people to understand that they can change, they can make impact themselves. And I can just echo that. It's like I walk, I have an e-bike, and I take public transportation. Like those are my three ways of going from A to B. And I love my bike. And you are so much more flexible. It's even like a little bit of sports. I love it. Completely agree. And I get the sense you want to disrupt the market. So maybe let's do a little step in the future. Imagine it's 2050. The New York Times is analyzing the e-mobility market. And they say, oh my goodness, since 2023, so many things have changed. And Bill Clem, he had a huge impact. What is his impact till 2050? What is the impact? I think it's going to vary. Because one, I think the distance between now and 2050, in the next 27 years, um, bikes will change. So e-bikes will be different. The vehicles themselves will change. I don't think it will be just e-bikes. I think there will be a lot of different kinds of things that will be created to move people. And I think those things will be based on the actual usage cases where the customer is going to do with it. So one of the things I think we talked about one time was this whole notion that in some places, you know, having a covered e-bike or a covered device, right, that's economically or ecologically responsible, that could be a big issue, right? There's snowing outside, you know, all the weather isn't good, all those things, right? So I think by 2050, I think there's going to be a whole new range of vehicles that will be, that, that will have arrived on the scene that will have arrived or will be arriving on the scene to move people around. Um, the other thing I believe is that there's two segments. There's moving people and moving goods. I think there's two segments. Yeah. I, I think the moving goods side is actually going to accelerate faster than the moving people side because I think the moving goods side, it becomes economics. So if it's economics, if there's a business case for it, the marketplace will drive it. It won't be emotional, but people will see these goods being moved over here, and that will actually make them think about moving themselves on a similar platform. So what I think in 2050 people will say about us is we were a part of that incubation. We were a part of that setup in the United States of America. 
We were a part of that transformation that happened. And the other thing I believe is the biggest opportunity that's out there is to be able to get government and industry to do this together. Because right now, the government puts out regulations. Industry says, there's a hundred things we have to invent to make this work, right? And our, and our shareholders yes. aren't going to be excited about us deploying money and there's no good return, predictable return. So if the government helps bring, bring rationality to that, right? And think about it. We as, as in, we as people who have pensions and investments, right? We would invest in those companies that are actually going to do this in conjunction with the government, right? And also, I think it's like once you change the immobility and people walk more, mm -hmm. they ride their bicycles, they are much more active, it will have such a huge impact on the health, the mental state. Like there will be so many positive side effects when you really, really drive that. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. Okay. For our listeners, say who want to have more influence, more impact, what can they do? Before we get to the to the audience, you have such an assertive, confident aura around you. Have you always had that or how did you get to that confident state? I've always had it in, in me. I think it's always kind of been inside of me. I think because I, I accomplished things in my life that so when I started my own company, right, I raised all this money. Everybody told me I was insane. Like people told me I was crazy. I'm quitting my job. I'm making all this money and I'm going to start my own company. They thought I was insane. Um, but I just knew I was going to do it. Uh, and I knew I would find a way. Uh, and I also had a support system. So I always, I always like to have people around me that one are going to question, two are going to help. So I've always been very fortunate to get that kind of assistance, right? So it isn't a safety net. So when you're inside of a big company of a safety net, right? Something doesn't work, yes. you know, it's good, right? When you're doing it yourself, nah, no safety net. You got to go figure it out. So, I, so I, I guess I've always felt good about that. I think the other thing is, is that I, is I don't take something on that I, that I don't believe I've either seen, done, tasted, touched before, Right. So e-bikes, I did this in 2010, 11, 12, 13 in, in Holland. Right. I did this already. I know this market. I touched all those customers. We sold tens of thousands of things. So, again, all those things I've done. So I feel very good about my ability to go get that stuff done. So I also think about this thing called command of presence. So... I always try and have a good command of presence. I always try and answer people's questions and be clear. I don't mind saying I don't know. Um, but if I do have an opinion, you're going to get it. Well, you are direct. Oh, I would be. That's the Dutch, right? So I, I, I would be. Anyway, so again, I, what, what could your listeners do? I think one, you have an insatiable thirst for information and knowledge. So I read, I read, Dozens of articles every single day. I read tons of, you know, periodicals, things going on in the world. I look for patterns. I look for where I identify themes around the, around the world. And I read, like I said, European press, Middle Eastern press, you know, Asian press. I read all of it. 
Wow. Because that's because I get a good platform, right? I get a sense of what these markets, and it's always around my theme, right? Transportation, mobility, whatever, technology. And I kind of, so I think that's another thing is, you know, be curious. Don't, you know, I think people start aging when they stop learning uh, and constantly challenging themselves on learning is super important. So that's, that's one thing. Two things. Second thing is, is that you got to find a, you got to find a stream of passion, right? You have to find what, what are you just going to go make happen? I call it JFDI, just freaking do it. What, what is it that we're going to be able to get to be able to make happen? So, and then have the confidence to go do it, right? So, so that's the other side of confidence is just doing it, right? Don't be afraid. Once you know what you want to do, just go do it, right? Um, la- lastly, I, you know, I, when I was inside of my own company, you know, I, I had 356 investors. I sold every single one of them myself. I did six rounds of financings. I'd never done any of these things, but I learned all those things. And so trying to just get an understanding and finding people that are the best at the world at something and quite frankly, copying, right? There's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong with picking up those things and, and, you know, copying them. They worked, make it better. Cause that's, you know, some, somebody once told me that you want to, you want to start a business by standing on the shoulders of giants, right? So for gosh sakes, why in the world do you want to grow the giant stand on the shoulder of the giant, right? Then you're the biggest giant. So that's, so those are things. So for the listeners, you know, and then quite frankly, have fun. The other thing people around me will tell you is, is I, is I enjoy people and I enjoy being on calls and I try and make everybody feel a part. So when I manage a call, I'm checking with everybody on the call. I want to make sure they've all had their say. I want to make sure even if their say is off base, I don't mind letting them talk for a second and then, and then closing it out and explaining why. Uh, but to me, that creates such a powerful base and you get acceptance at the table. So that's just me. I like the notion of having fun because I guess that goes back to finding that passion because that passion will then propel you to read about your topic and really go the extra mile. I know you shared with us that you have been passionate for transportation ever since you've been a little kid. So your passion was just there. For somebody who doesn't feel passionate and just doesn't know what is my passion, is there anything that comes to mind to find somebody's passion? The real thing is, what do you, if, if you were gonna, if you were going to sit and have somebody read your eulogy, what would you want them to say about you? What would it be that you would want to have earned in your life to get somebody to, to get people to say about you? I think that's what I, I think that's, I think about that sometimes, especially, you know, after losing a son and losing a child and those things, I think those things go through my brain a lot. So I always think about how do I make a difference, right? Do I want to make a difference? Again, it's perfectly fine if people don't. I mean, it's up to them. What do they want? What's their What's their journey? What's their personal journey and what do they want to accomplish in their life? That needs to be an individual decision that you got to look in the mirror and ask yourself, what do you want to do, right? And then how do you make money doing it? And then how do you make your point? If it's fun along the way, it's easy to invest in it. 
yes. because it's fun, right? I think we need the intrinsic motivation and that's why it needs to be our passion, like something that me has meaning. And I guess also what I'm hearing from you is like there's love for transportation, but you have a vision to have an impact on people and making their life better. So that is much, much bigger. And I said, I'm so, so, so sorry that you lost your son, but I guess those moments, it triggers you to be like, what is really important to me? Yeah, what is important to me? That is, you know, and you do lose yourself during these times sometimes, right? COVID, a lot of people lost themselves. Yes. My son dying. I, you know, hardest, the hardest day of my life. And still, you know, to this day, six years later, this is, you know, it took me, it took me three years to be able to speak out loud about it. And so I had a friend who runs a big women's conference and women's group up in the Northwest of the United States. And so she asked me to be the keynote speaker at her conference. And I got up for the first time and talked to 800 women about my journey personally. And so that was hard to be that vulnerable to tell people I didn't know. I didn't know if I was going to make it through this. I didn't know. I mean, I was a puddle on the ground. I mean, you know, it was just very difficult. And then, quite frankly, I had to go find myself. And so I played around with a couple other businesses. I did a few other things. But it all brought me back here to this, and I get to go do it. I get to have the smiles on people's faces when they wheel off the bike and they see the experience on their face. It's, it's, it's unobtainium for me. I think that was a really nice last few sentences to wrap it up. So I only have a few more questions for you. So, What's coming up next for you? We are about to launch a brand new distribution system in the United States for e-bikes. We are going to we are going to create a business within a business for automotive dealerships. So we are so we're going to roll out a business in a business to the 17,000 auto dealers that are in America. That's our next big project is to roll this out across the auto dealer space. Today, today, uh, mobility solutions are not distributed through an economically advantaged channel in the U.S. So the consumers buy these things online. They can't get them fixed. They're not well designed. They, they fail. Consumers have a bad experience. They don't know what bike they're buying. They don't know. They don't know the use case for the bike. You and I have talked about. You know specifically what you're going to do with your bike. We have to educate the consumers on what they're going to do with their bikes. So I've chosen to go back to my roots and to offer this to automotive dealerships because that's the best economic distribution system in the world. The most advantage economic distribution system for anything transportation. Number one place is the United States of America auto dealer channel. Economics, they have the So if they get behind this, back to your 2050 comment, now that I thought about it a little bit more, if, if it can be said that I helped incubate the sustaining distribution channel for mobility solutions and I helped revolutionize the way auto dealers offer customers products, that would be a big deal for me. Nice. Thank you. And two questions left. Um, who else should I have on this show? So there's a, so there's a gentleman there's a gentleman who's a friend of mine. His name is Jason Putnam. He's the chief revenue officer for a company named Plum out of Toronto, Canada. Plum Plum is a very 
interesting assessment set of tools for helping companies find the right employees. They are, and, and this is a it's a very good technology. And he is the chief revenue officer, and he's just a very good guy and knows this space upside down and backwards. And I was I worked in that area. I worked in that space at job.com for two years, so over two years. So anyway, so I know the space very well, and he is just a amazing guy. So you should have him on there. I will ask you for the introduction afterwards. And for people who feel inspired, they should definitely go on to eBliss and check out the website and the first models that are already out there. How can they stay in touch with you and follow you? So I think the other way to do this is you can find me on LinkedIn, William Clem, K-L-E-H-M. Follow me on LinkedIn. You'll see me out there. That's kind of a business social media presence. So I use it quite often. I also read a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. I follow some interesting people. Follow along. Come along for the ride. Go on eblis.global, www.eblis.global. Go, go, go follow us online on the website, but also follow me on LinkedIn. You'll start to see us go out and spread our wings a little bit. I love it. Thank you so much. This was so insightful to also really learn more about having more impact, more influence. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It was a great interview. So much about having impact and influencing others. If you want to talk about it, please don't forget to tag me at Delegate or Reaching Your Goals podcast. And you are still listening. If you have not yet subscribed to the show, please do so wherever you listen to your podcast. This way, you will get the next episode in your inbox when it drops on Tuesday. With that, we are done for today. We are one step closer to reaching your goals. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.